This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Warriors, Warriors, come out to play. Show me you want to be here. Show me you want to win. Show me you want to, you have that killer instinct. I do look at myself as being one of the most dominant fighters in MMA history. He didn't know it was going to be a buffet, though. He thought it was going to be a three-piece. Now you're getting the whole MGM Grand Buffet to the face, man. Welcome to another episode of the RJ Ringside Podcast. It's Heidi Fang here with Adam Hill, and we're also going to be joined by our boxing writer, Sam Gordon. He's going to bring us the boxing update and talk a little bit about all this Conor McGregor madness that is happening. And we're going to get into that as well. But right now, I want to remind everybody to hit subscribe wherever you're listening. And we are brought to you by Visa, Indeed, and Bet Online. All right, Adam, I said it. Conor McGregor. He starts tweeting out things, the conversations that he's had with Dana White from Instagram, and then he's talking about fighting Manny Pacquiao, and that uh, all these other guys are afraid of him in boxing. They're all afraid, he says. So, uh, what do we make of Conor McGregor? What's happening? And, of course, Adam, you were right. He's not retired. Well, I don't think anybody (laughs) thought he was retired. Uh, That that was an easy call. Um, I do think, you know, when a lot of the Conor McGregor conversation started a, a few months ago. Uh, my prediction here was that he would box Manny Pacquiao. I, I thought that just made sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we're building toward that. I don't necessarily know that just because Conor said it's going to happen, uh, that that is what's going to happen. Uh, I feel like there's a lot to be worked out. I feel like there this is maybe one last uh, shot at the UFC to say, hey, give me something, g- give me some fight that's coming up. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be still kind of worked out with the Conor McGregor situation. Uh, but, man, there, as much as I don't want to see that boxing match, as much as I think it's stupid, just like I thought it was stupid when he boxed you know, Floyd Mayweather, people bought it. So that's, I think in the end, like especially the, you know, the fight game, it's about what people want to watch, not necessarily what is good. And that will sell. And so – Conor McGregor has that option on the table, no question about it. Uh, I do think it's interesting to kind of, uh, you know, release some of the DMs, which the first thing, there's nothing like insanely inflammatory in these DMs that he released. Uh, are they not, they don't text each other? They're communicating I through DMs? Weird, but maybe it's because if he's in Ireland and Dana is in the States or Abu Dhabi or wherever he is and they don't have WhatsApp, they should have WhatsApp. First of all, they have WhatsApp. I'm <laughs> I'm sure of it. Uh, I know Dana does. Um, but it's even beyond that, like, I think they both have international calling plans. I don't think they're worried yeah, about, like... Yeah, they're probably millionaires or something or billionaires. <laughs> ridiculous. They probably have some money. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, they can be just <laughs> like us. I, I mean, I, some of my best friends communicate with me through DMs. So, I, I, I guess, you know, it's just easy for people if they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, uh, just slide in the DMs instead of instead of texting, I suppose. But, yeah, what we heard from or what we learned from Connor's DMs were uh, that right after the fight, in uh, January against Cerrone, 
he started lobbying for another fight. He wanted to fight again, and he wanted to fight again very soon. He said there was an L.A. show coming up. Dana's like, no, there's not. We're planning a San Francisco show, uh, which that was disappointing because I, d- I definitely wanted to go. Uh, I think they were going to try to go in the Chase Center, which is a very cool arena. I saw a couple Warriors games there. I wanted to see uh, maybe a UFC card there. Uh, but as as Connor is lobbying for these fights back in you know February, like the world changed then. <laughs> like So he could say, hey, I was lobbying for this. I was lobbying for that. But like, there's a reason they couldn't do those fights, and and to be fair, that was at a time in February when, uh, you know, the UFC was just pushing forward. They didn't care about any of these other things. In fact, in March, when the world was starting to shut down, uh, Dana White said, "I don't care about this. We're going to keep pushing forward." So this wasn't pandemic related. This was Connor wanted to get back in as soon as possible. The UFC told him he couldn't fight until July for International Fight Week. Now, as we now know, that never happened. Uh, so there was no international fight week. There was no massive pay-per-views. So there really was no chance for Connor to fight. But he just wanted to make it clear, like, hey, I'm not turning down fights. In fact, I'm trying to get a fight, and they're not letting me have a fight. Uh, and, and the UFC just didn't have any room on their schedule in any major markets for Connor to go to. So uh, all he's proving is basically, hey, I wanted a fight. It's not like uh, I was turning things down. And that that's the message he wanted to get across. And I think it worked uh, with the DMs. It showed what he wanted it to show, that, hey, he wanted a fight, and the UFC said no. Another point of this is that the UFC would probably want to reserve Connor as long as possible for anything, just because if you can't have a live gate, that's a lot of money lost for them sure. as well. Yeah, but this is before. I mean, this yeah. is February. Yeah. So it, it is a different, you know, it's a different time. Like all these DMs came from a time the last when the one UFC I think is March, so March second, but still. And still, they, I mean, they, they still had the, the UFC had a pay per view. Yeah, they had a pay per view after that, and. Uh, the, and they were saying during that pay-per-view, I mean, that was the time, if we want to go back on the timeline, where Dana White was asked at that pay-per-view that was after these DMs, you know, about maybe not having fans or maybe trying to trying to do some events without uh, people there. And he basically said the pandemic isn't real and there's nothing they're going to do. Like, we're fine. We're going to keep pushing forward. Uh, that was at that time. And so, like, at that time when, when Connor was sending these messages, there was no thought that there wasn't going to be fans at events. It was just, hey, we don't have a spot for you until July. And so Connor said, I want to fight four times this year. That was his plan. And he was trying to make the point, like, hey, I wanted to and I still wanted to. They just wouldn't allow that to happen. And, and now, and you're right, once everything got shut down, the UFC kept pushing forward with fights, but they weren't going to do a Connor McGregor fight. They can't pay him what he makes in a fight without fans there. And so that w- that just wasn't going to happen. So the combination of not having any spot for him until July, and then the pandemic hitting, and no fans being in, being in attendance, is what drove Connor to the fake retirement announcement, <laughs> and now and now potentially to box Manny Pacquiao, <laughs> uh, which we have seen a number now at the Westgate. You could bet it, uh, Pacquiao minus five dollars. That's ridiculous. He should be minus five million. Uh, Connor is not going to win that boxing match, uh, but. Uh, the reason, just to, to go behind the scenes a little bit, because uh, one thing I do know really well is betting markets, and uh, they can't put a real number on a Conor McGregor fight, UFC or boxing, because no matter what number you put up, people are going to bet Conor. If you bet Conor against the Sun, like they'd be like, well, the Sun should be minus $8 billion. It's not going to lose to Conor. But everybody's going to bet on Connor, so you got to make it like minus 500 and, and just take whatever sun bets you get, and the people will bet Connor to defeat the sun. They just will. And that's how, that's how, that's how it goes in the betting market for Connor McGregor. So uh, I would suggest if you want to bet on Manny Pacquiao, you wait because right now it's minus $5, which is great value on Pacquiao, but it'll go down even lower because for some reason, people will bet on Connor McGregor to win, even though he has zero chance to win. To me, 
that's free money on Pacquiao. They're, they're, Manny Pacquiao is not losing to Conor McGregor. He is not going to lose a boxing match to Conor McGregor. It's not happening. Uh, the Mayweather money was easy enough, and I think this is just as easy. So that's there, there's no question in my mind. McGregor could go through six months of training camp, a year of training camp. Manny Pacquiao has been boxing at an elite level for 20 years. He's not losing. It's free money, Manny Pacquiao. So you think it'll probably close out at like minus 150? Or no, I don't think it'll go that low. What okay. will happen is kind of what happened last time. Uh, now, Mayweather started about minus 2,500, got all the way down to minus 400, and then bounced back. Well, what will happen is you'll get a bunch of people betting um, Conor McGregor up until the fight. The day before the fight, it'll probably get down to like minus 300 or so, and then every sharp better in the world will bet a lot of money on Manny Pacquiao and drive the price back up probably higher than it even is right now but uh, the key is if you want to bet uh, if you want to bet McGregor bet him now I don't know why you would do it but just go ahead and do it now get the <laughs> best number you can there's a chance. and then it'll progressively tick down until about 12 hours before the fight or so and you'll see uh, the sharp better start jumping in and betting on Pacquiao yeah so let's bring in Sam right now because Sam I want to get your take on this McGregor Pacquiao fight what do you see from the boxing side of this one yeah, Heidi. Well, um, you know, Pacquiao is at an interesting point in his career, right? In terms of boxing, he's accomplished everything there is to accomplish. We know about the eight the eight championships in the eight different divisions. We know about what he did to Keith Thurman last summer, and it's really kind of been stagnant for him in terms of getting fights. I mean, you know, you heard rumors about Mikey Garcia. You, you always hear Terrence Crawford as a possible um, opponent for him at 147, but nothing has really materialized. So for him, you know, the clock is ticking. As good as he looked at 40 last summer – uh, he's broaching 42 now. I mean, he was born in 78. He's broaching 42. He's got a lot of mileage on him, a lot of wear and tear. And it makes sense, right, where you're going to fight in what's going to be a marquee event. Nonetheless, a big-time draw, but you're not going to be forced to go through necessarily the same level of training camp or be as sharp as you would have to be, say you were fighting a Bud Crawford, who by many accounts is the, is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the game right now. So for him, it's, it's low-risk, high-reward, um, another chance to kind of promote – do a big fight. We, we know what McGregor Mayweather did, the, the spectacle it was, the event it was, even though the fight was dull. And, and in my by, in my opinion, I think this fight um, could be even over you know more quickly than the, the McGregor uh, Mayweather fight was. This Pacquiao is with his power when with his speed, if he chose to turn it on, I think he could get McGregor out of there quickly. So it's going to be interesting. We know Mayweather carried McGregor the first fight. Would we see that same approach where Pacquiao is, is going to take this the distance or, or long to give the fans what they want. Uh, it, it makes it makes financial sense um, and it makes boxing sense to a degree, but it's not a marquee fight per se that anybody really, I think, wants to see. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities, whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local Local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, 
everywhere you want to be official partner of the NFL. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Let's get into a little bit of this pay-per-view card happening from Abu Dhabi. Adam, we've got another star here in Israel, Adesanya, who's taking on Paulo Costa. Both fighters undefeated. This middleweight title fight has a ton of impact for it for these two fighters. I mean, it's a fight that has a lot of bad blood behind it. They've already gotten to a couple altercations with each other leading up to this fight. And I think... It's one of those fights, like last week, Dana said, when you have legitimate bad blood between two fighters, sometimes you see them actually compete and just nothing happens that can live up to your expectations. But this is one where I think it's impossible, and I'm probably just jinxed it, but impossible for it not to live up to expectations because these two, they hold nothing back when they're inside the cage. And I know that sounds cliche, but as undefeated fighters, I mean, you just see a full arsenal coming out of Adesanya lately when he gets in there and Paulo Costa we know the power that he has so what do you make of this one Adam yeah I think that that is the key to it I mean uh Israel Adesanya we know his precision his speed uh his ability to keep opponents off balance everything that he could do so well uh but Costa is that great equalizer we've talked about this with a lot of really dominant fighters like the way I I feel like the way to neutralize guys that are just that good is power like the guy that can just say okay you can throw me off balance you can confuse me you can try to outspeed me all night i just need to land one shot and that is that is the the great equalizer in the world of mma and i think that's what you have here uh i think israel adesanya is the better fighter i think over the course of if you fought 100 rounds he would win the vast majority of them but all it takes for is one shot for costa that's all it's gonna. That's all it takes, and that's all it takes against anybody. So, uh, Adesanya is gonna have to obviously be aware of that. He's gonna have to try to neutralize that as much as possible. And what Adesanya really doesn't have is, you know, you can neutralize a guy like that by taking him down or grinding against the cage or not letting him launch some of those power shots. Adesanya doesn't really have that. I mean, he's a sta- he's a stand up guy. He wants to keep the fight standing, so he's going to be, you know, v- he's going to be susceptible to that power shot at some point. It's can he. You know, make sure it doesn't land square. Can he make sure uh, that Costa can never feel comfortable? Uh, can he make sure he's never at the range that he wants? All those things. And, and yeah, I think Adesanya can do that. Uh, but no matter what, I mean, Adesanya could win four and a half rounds. Uh, and and you just never know when it's going to land. Now, I believe Costa's best chances in the first two rounds. 
to try to try to land something to change the the dynamic of the fight. But he's not going to be out of it for the whole time. So Adesanya is certainly going to have to be aware of of what's going on in there at all times. All right. So now we have this title fight with Dominic Reyes and Jan Blachowicz. So. When you look at it, I mean, Dominic Reyes has all the flash in the world lately. He's been very dominant in the UFC, but Jan Blakevich has a ton of experience and is somebody that's pretty much seen it all when it comes to competing. So how do you size this one up, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a uh, it's a, it's a really tough matchup uh, for both guys. I, I, you know, it's very weird uh, that this is a title fight because I think there's still a lot of people that aren't completely familiar with really either of these guys and the light heavyweight division has been the marquee division for so long in the UFC. I mean, it went from, you know, early days with Liddell and, and Ortiz and, you know, Randy Couture's in that mix before he retired and went to heavyweight. And like it, it was the Machida, you had, you know, Rampage Jackson and Rashad Evans, like all these like big name guys uh, at 205, the light heavyweight division was just, the marquee glamour division in the UFC and then it transitioned to John Jones and John Jones ruled it for so long and has been considered the greatest uh you know fighter in in UFC history by a lot of people so it's just been it's just been such a uh such a star-studded division and now all of a sudden you've got a title fight in the light heavyweight and it's Dominic Reyes against Jan Blachowicz like wait what like how did that happen but I also want to make sure that we don't take anything away from what those guys are like they're, as you were pointing out, like they're both on solid runs, especially Dominic Reyes, who a lot of people believe beat John Jones and should have won that title and maybe had that moment taken away from him. But, um, you know, I, I just think it's it's a chance for one of them to really seize the spotlight, especially uh, by taking that title that so many, you know, prominent fighters, so many Hall of Fame guys have held. And, and doing it on a stage that includes this Adesanya Costa fight that people have been so excited about for so long. So a uh, big opportunity there, I think, uh, for both of these guys to uh, to step up and get the job done. Yeah, and if you go to MMA Decisions, which is one that I think a, a lot of um, – is a conglomerate site that takes a lot of different MMA journalists' scores from fights and then posts them. And a whopping majority of the MMA media had this one scored for Dominic Reyes. You brought that up, and it is his only loss in the UFC right now. Um, it's like 14 out of 21 outlets had it scored for Dominic Reyes. So, um, yeah, that again, is his only loss right now in the UFC, and it was for the light heavyweight championship just back in February. And then, you know, John Jones relinquishes, so that opens the door again for him. I don't think there are too many title fights that we could look at. Maybe a handful, a very small handful. I can think of Holly Holm being one where the a fighter coming into a title fight has a loss uh, before getting it that title shot so we're going to see if he can make the most of it this time around um yeah dominic reyes yambukevich that'll be your co-main event for ufc 253 from yaz island um this week we also had the opportunity to speak with an up-and-coming fighter somebody who got a contract after competing on dana white's contender series and adam last week we kind of didn't get the opportunity to talk about sherard who we had done the feature on he won his fight but it was on such a crazy card where all the other four fighters had these crazy finishes and so he gets kind of a developmental deal um 
we're going to talk about that and also get into this interview. But first, I want to talk about Sherrard. So um, have you been able to hear from him since, uh, you know, the, the decision was made that he would not get a UFC contract? Yeah, and it looks like he's going to try to go back on Contender Series in November and uh, and get another shot. I know he was, he was disappointed. You know, the night of the fight, there was initial disappointment followed by um, – kind of just acceptance of, hey, I won. I won on a UFC stage. I get another shot. I can come back and do it again. And as he said, he's like, yeah, they could have put me on, tried to put me on a UFC card or, you know, try to bury me on some card somewhere. I get a chance in a spotlight on a, you know, you know, a card that's going to be watched by probably a lot of people to make some more money and not have to wait for some opponent that the UFC uh, gives me. So he, he, he kind of uh, accepted that a little bit. But I think there is also disappointment of you. You work so long to get this shot. You go on there, you win. Uh, and win, you know, an impressive fight. I think that's that's the other part of this, that it wasn't some disappointing result. It just so happened that there was like four first-round finishes on that card, and he he had a fight that was, I thought, maybe one of the best fights of the night, probably the best fight of the night, uh, but it just didn't come on the right night. And then, uh, as Dana White pointed out, he said, after two rounds, I was like, the winner is coming, coming to the UFC, no question. And then instead of continuing to go in a slugfest Sherrod uh Blackledge we're referring to here who uh, we've had here on the show and we did a uh, big feature on if you want to go check that out he instead of continuing to go in this brawl he decided you know what I'm just going to take this guy down and get the win try to beat him up on the ground and Dana said he would have rather had a, a brawl uh, which I get it and it is the it is the entertainment game uh, as much as it is the fight game but at the same time like it's a sport you're trying to win and he took the best path to victory so um i think he he's accepted it and uh he's ready to to get that next opportunity and and he knows that he has to maybe approach it a little bit differently especially if there's a third round next time now let's hear from jordan levitt who did get a contract when he competed on the ufc's dana white contender series Man, this has got to be an exciting time for you. There's so much happening. The UFC is just ahead. What was it like for you to go through that process of being on the Contender Series to getting the contract? It was an emotional roller coaster, really. I was just vacationing, then they called me for a last-minute replacement for the Contender Series, and that didn't really give me any time to process it. I just had to go straight into a weight cut and just go back home. I was fishing my family, and then... You know, then I had the fight, which was a pretty easy fight, like definitely one of my easier fights I've ever had. And then I was just waiting backstage and just hoping that Dana White liked my performance. And then when they said I was in the UFC, it, it all kind of just hit me. And I'm, well, I guess okay. I get kind of still processing it. So, yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of feelings. Well, after the fight, you said you had uh, found out that your wife is pregnant. So congratulations on that. What was just finding out that the moment of elation like for you? Yeah, you know when when great things happen in your life, you kind of, I I kind of like keep a mental checklist of the things that I'm grateful for. I was just super happy and like going through my thoughts and just word vomit. So, you know, how do you feel about being in the UFC? I'm, I'm so happy because I have a baby on the way, and then I'm like, oh, I haven't told anybody I have a baby on the way yet. So my, my wife understood, and maybe my family did like um, <laughs> that announcement, but it worked out. <laughs> I'm glad it all worked out for you. I mean, this ride has been very interesting for you. I think um, 
I had read that you also have worked on political campaigns. You run barefoot. Uh, Tell me just your day to day uh, and how you get ready for each fight, how you go about your training and where did the barefoot running come into play? (laughs) Okay, so I will start off with the barefoot running. Um, In high school, I decided randomly I wanted to run a marathon. And then one of my friend's parents basically said, if you could run 11 miles tomorrow, you know, you'll be able to follow my training course, you know, schedule and you'll be ready for a marathon. So I never ran more than like two miles of four in track. So I was like, okay, 11 miles. I'll do that tomorrow. And after about two miles, because that's all I've ever run, I was kind of hitting a wall. So then I took off my shoes to, you know, walk for a little bit. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to run inside. I'm going to run barefoot. And then I finished the last nine miles barefoot, and I kind of never went back. And even though I kind of look like one of those weird hippie types on the street, and people will <laughs> stop, pull over, and ask if I'm okay, or give me kudos for being a bad A. Uh, but yeah, I've always I've been running barefoot since junior year of high school, and it's just how I run. <laughs> um, um, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying it. Um. Okay. Well, I was curious here about the political campaigns that you've worked on. Uh, how did that become something that you became interested in? And was it also something maybe that you've studied along the way in school or what have you? Yeah, um, probably also. I've always been interested in politics, especially since probably from uh, probably since middle school. I went to a private school called American Heritage Academy and it had a very um, history and literature based curriculum. So I've knew a lot about history since I was very young. So, you know, even during high school, I remember volunteering for the Mitt Romney campaign with my friends, and I had very politically active friends. So it wasn't just me acting out on my own. I just had a lot of I had a lot of good people around me, a lot of um, mature friends in high school. So we would volunteer on political campaigns, knock door to door, and then I worked a little little bit in 2018 for like you know, 20, 25 hours. But yeah, I've always been politically minded. I studied political science in college and that's going to be what, what my degree is in. And yeah, I've always enjoyed politics and because it's important to uh, do your part to help out the community and to exercise those things. <laughs> <laughs> this is completely off topic and I just want to stay on this tangent here a little bit just because Ruth, Bader Ginsburg has passed away. And as somebody that's been into politics, what does this mean for the country? Well, it's a very special case, especially considering we're like less than 100 days to Election Day. Mm-hmm. And RBG is a feminist icon. So, I, I mean, almost certainly he's going to force through a Supreme Court nomination because that helps energize the base and also just polarizes people and polarizing people is good for the political climate right now but i just think it's gonna make a very uh it's gonna make a show of a very sacred process or what i think should be a very sacred process because the supreme court is supposed to be above politics so they could act more objectively um so i feel like it's going to kind of make a time of mourning and a time where we should be focusing on the greater good and it's going to make it some kind of political, you know, circus. So that's kind of sad. And RBG is a 
feminist icon and it to be hard to fill in her boot, fill in her shoes. And it'll just be very interesting to see who Trump puts forward. It's very interesting to speak to somebody uh, that is so well-versed in politics, that is also competing in MMA, and that does all these other things that, I guess, goes against the type of mold that people are used to expecting out of an MMA fighter, which I think is great. But uh, how did you come to find MMA? How did you become to be interested in it? So I never did sports until I got to high school, and then I tried out wrestling my freshman year, and wrestling's hard. So we're not coming from like a rough and tumble upbringing. I had all sisters raised by my mom. I was very, you know, delicate. I was very delicate little teenager. <laughs> so I quit wrestling. But the day that I quit, I was ditching a tournament, probably the one of the first wrestling tournaments. And I turned on the TV and I don't know why Spike TV was the first thing that was on because I, I'm not a Spike TV person. I wasn't that type of kid, but Spike TV was on and the Ultimate Fighter was playing. And I'm like, this looks pretty cool. And I'm like, I could do this. This seems easier than wrestling. Um, so I was very interested and wanted to try it out. The whole cage aesthetic really intrigued me, the whole fighting. And I thought it was kind of like being a ninja. I'm like, I want to do this. So then I asked for a punching bag for that Christmas. and. I got it, and I started training in my garage, and eventually my mom got me a membership at the old uh, tap-out gym, and I've kind of just always trained ever since then. I didn't really plan on being, you know, this being my job, or me making it this far. You never could, I never really think you should plan for such a low probability, but it's my dream, and it worked out, and it came true, and it all started because I ditched a wrestling tournament and was watching TV. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, after the win here over Luke Flores and getting that UFC contract, how quickly do you expect to find yourself back in the cage? Well, this year's already been my most um, active year. I've had three fights this year. And uh, the, the longer I go without a fight, the more I just want to have a fight as soon as possible. Like when people were asking me that question right after the fight, I'm like, early next year, February, January, I'm going to lift some weights, put on some muscle. <laughs> but I'm kind of getting antsy. I really hope I can get in there soon, maybe one more time before the end of the year. I know um I know the UFC will be here for December. They'll be in, you know, at Fight Island for the next little bit. But I'm really hoping yeah. I could hop on last minute for something. I've almost hopped on last minute for a few of the fight cards, but that didn't work out and they chose somebody else. But I just like to be active. Fighting's fun. I like to go out there and improve myself. Speaking of being active, uh, my sister had dubbed me Little Monkey quite some time ago when I was a kid because I was always bouncing around, jumping around, hanging off of monkey bars. Uh, how did you come to get your name, the Monkey King? It actually came from several different sources, but my mom used to call me her Little Monkey for, uh, for similar <laughs> reasons. Nice. Um, and then... Yeah, but then, you know, I just got to high school, and then one time on the rest, I won a wrestling match, and I kind of was like, tie my shoes, and I crawl off the mat on, like, my knuckles. They're here like a monkey. And I'm like, huh, I like monkeys. And then <laughs> I used to play video games, and there's anime characters and kung fu movie characters named the Monkey King, and they had very playful attitudes, and I have a very playful attitude. Um, and then... I was probably sparring at Syndicate when I was like 18 or 19, getting ready to have my um, first amateur fight. And it's like, it's like fighting like 
it's like sparring like a monkey, like monkey kung fu. And I'm like, I'm the monkey king. I think I think I'm going to do that. That sounds like my thing. So since everyone called me monkey throughout my life and there was no racial connotation, I feel like I have to say that because some people ask me if it's a racist thing. And I'm like, no, why would I do that? But um, yeah. but yeah, just a name that kind of came to, that kind of a lot of people gave to me. and I just kind of ran with it. So uh, that was Jordan Levitt. And right now we're going to get the update from Boxing World from Sam Gordon. Yeah, big weekend uh, for Showtime. They, they are having a pay-per-view doubleheader. They're getting back into the pay-per-view business after a, a couple non-pay-per-view cards to get everything going. And this one's actually pretty interesting, Heidi. You have the, the Charlo brothers uh, both fighting for titles. You have Jam- Jamal Charlo uh, fighting Sergey Derevichenko, who we last remember he gave Triple G all everything he could handle a year ago. A very tough fighter. I expect this to be a really compelling fight. And it uh, would really be a, a kind of a marquee victory for Charlo, who has been mentioned in the past as a possible opponent for, for Canelo Alvarez, as a possible compelling opponent. So if he wins this fight, takes care of business, maybe he inches closer to a fight against Canelo. And, and then at 154, you have his brother Jamel uh, for the WBC, WBA, and IBF 154-pound unification uh, championships. You're going to unify those titles uh, against Jason Rosario. So those, you know, the Charlos are, are bona fide. I mean, they are stars. They're, they They might not have the star power right now, like some of the, like your Errol Spences, like your Terrence Crawfords, like your Teofimo, uh, like your Teofimo Lopez is like your uh, Lomachenko's, but they are big time fighters. And this is a huge platform for them to kind of show what they got. If they want to continue to uh, establish their way uh, in in the, that upper echelon of, of big names. So uh, definitely compelling card. And, and then we have a local on the card as well, Damian Vasquez, whom I wrote about for the review journal uh, for Saturday's paper story online uh, this afternoon. Uh, but he lives in Vegas and is fighting Brandon Figueroa for the WBA Super Bantamweight title. Uh, Damian Vasquez's uncle Israel is a former three-time Super Bantamweight champion, so trying to become the second uh, fighter in that family to, to win a world title. So a lot going on. And then you know we're getting closer and closer to October, and we know what kind of month that's going to be, uh, especially around here, Heidi, with Lomachenko and Lopez. So exciting time uh, and uh, big fights this weekend. That'll do it for us, everybody, from the RJ Ringside Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening and check everybody out on Twitter at by Sam Gordon at Adam Hill LBRJ, and I'm at Heidi Fang. We'll be back next week. Sports are coming back. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.